Thank you, Pastor Gabe. We're getting closer to the end of our sermon series on Moses, the man on the mountain. Today we see what God's people are up to in Exodus 32, verses 1 through 7. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took these from them, formed them in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O God. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Most people will agree faith is not about logic or knowledge or understanding. Faith is based on what you put your trust in. This means there are lots of gods. Whatever we confide in, Whatever we put our trust in, whatever we believe in, becomes a god, an idol. It's easy to name the idols in our culture today. Money, busyness, technology, politics, sports. We can prioritize these things over our relationship with God give them more attention than we give God, or put our trust in them more than we put our trust in God. We make these things more important to us than God, and then we keep wanting more and more of them because we can never get enough of what we don't need. Right after receiving the Ten Commandments, especially the first two about no other gods and no idols, we read about this golden calf where Israel breaks both of those crucial commandments at the very moment of covenant making. They break the first covenant vow while Moses is still on the mountain building the relationship. Why? They knew God was the one true God, but when the glory of the Lord was in front of them on the mountain, they were terrified. Remember a couple weeks ago as Jabe read from Exodus 20, when all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. 
For God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. Then the people stood at a distance while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. The people wanted to keep God at a distance. God invited all the people onto the mountain, but when God appeared to them, they were not willing to go. The people stand back and shudder and say, Moses, you go. So Moses goes up alone, and the people decide to worship God on their own terms. They say to each other, we know how to handle smoking mountain, thunder, and lightning, God. Uh, We're not really comfortable with that. But you know what we do have categories for? Idols. Because these are gods that we can make and we can handle them. We know how to feed them and throw parties for them. Let's stick to idols. But the whole book of Exodus up until this point tells us that God brought God's people out of Egypt so that they would know God is the one true God. And right after giving them the Ten Commandments, God had told the people to have a feast, to make peace offerings and burnt offerings and build an altar to God. And then they do the very opposite thing and use the same words for it. They build an altar and they make these offerings, but in front of a golden calf. So why? Why did they break that first vow so quickly? They might have wanted something tangible to direct their worship towards, but I think there's something else here, too. They wanted to keep God at a distance because they felt like they couldn't live up to God's expectation that they obey all rules. They asked Aaron to make them an idol because they felt not just uncomfortable, but ashamed. I think they felt ashamed. In her book, The Very Good Gospel, Lisa Shannon Harper writes, shame whispers lies about who we are into our hearts. It has nothing to do with the truth. It lies that God doesn't have your best interest at heart, that God doesn't love you. The thing about shame is we all have it. No one wants to talk about it. And the less we talk about it, the more we have it. Brene Brown studies shame, empathy, and vulnerability, and she calls this shame 101. First, we all have it. Shame is universal, one of the most primitive human emotions we can experience. The only people who don't experience shame are those who lack the capacity for empathy and human connection. Second, no one wants to talk about it. Just saying or hearing the word can make us uncomfortable. And third, the less we talk about it, the more we have it. The less we talk about shame, the more power it has over our lives. Shame is the fear that because we are flawed, we are unworthy of connection and love and belonging. We often confuse guilt and shame. Guilt is thinking, I did something bad. Shame is, I am bad. Guilt is, I made a mistake, whereas shame is, I am a mistake. In her book, Dare to Lead, Brene Brown recorded some of the responses she and her team received when they asked people for an example of shame. They received things like, 
Shame is getting laid off when we're expecting our first child. Shame is hiding my addiction. Shame is raging at my kids. Shame is covering up a mistake at work and getting caught. Shame is failing at my business after my friends invested in it. Shame is getting a promotion and getting demoted six months later because I wasn't successful. Shame is my wife asking me for a divorce and telling me she wants children, but not with me. Shame is feeling proud I completed a project, then being told it wasn't at all what my boss wanted or expected. I know when I'm feeling ashamed, I get shaky hands, my heart races, tears well up in my eyes very easily, and I feel hot. How about you? Maybe when you feel shame, you have shallow breathing, your whole body tenses up, maybe you feel nauseous. Some people feel stuck, like they physically can't move. If we could touch it, I imagine shame would feel like we are drowning in freezing cold quicksand. It would feel smothering. It smells rotten. It tastes bitter. It's ironic that feeling like we are not good enough or unworthy, like we alone are struggling, that's actually a universal experience. We've all been there. But shame is powerful because it makes us feel like we are all alone. Shame says we are worthless. Shame says our best choice is to pretend and hide. Shame says God wants nothing to do with us. So I could be wrong, but I have this theory that we create idols because we are ashamed to be before God. We find it hard to love our neighbor, and we certainly don't keep all 600-something commandments. So shame tells us there is no way God could ever want a relationship with flawed and broken creatures like us. And if we aren't good enough for God, we'll have to find something else to worship to prioritize, to devote our time to, to put our trust in, like money, busyness, politics, celebrities, sports. Just like the Hebrews, we keep God at a distance. Shame told the Hebrew people they were never going to be good enough to live up to what God expected of them, so they might as well not try. Shame told them God couldn't possibly love them, definitely doesn't want a relationship with them. Shame told them they would be better off keeping God at a distance and worshiping something else. Maybe shame tells some of us the same thing. Shame tells us that we aren't good enough, that we're the only one who feels this way, that God doesn't want connection with us, But Jesus comes along and says, no, no. God calls you beloved. And that's the eternal word. 
we tried to keep God at a distance. So God put on flesh and closed the gap. Whatever we confide in, whatever we put our trust in, whatever we believe in is our God. So who is this God that we believe in? We believe in God, the Father Almighty. The one true God is relational and personal. Our God is not aloof or distant. This God is almighty. There is no God like this God. We believe in Jesus Christ. We can know what God is like because of Jesus. This God was fully human and fully divine. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and preached good news. He lived in a particular time and a particular place. He had a family and a ministry. And when they put this God in the grave, God got up. We believe in the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit of God that was at creation and within Jesus is also in us. The Holy Spirit allows us to participate in what God is doing. The Holy Spirit enables people to have a faith, a hope, a life they would not otherwise have. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, all believers across time and space are united. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the forgiveness of sins, the hope of resurrection and life with God, everlasting after this life ends. These things are what we declare about the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can have other gods. You can worship other gods. But they won't speak to you. They won't listen to you. They're not going to love you. They certainly won't die for you. This is the only God we can truly know. This is the only God worthy of putting our trust in. This is the only God worthy of our worship. The Hebrews craved a deep and meaningful spiritual life, but that wasn't something they were ever going to get, worshiping idols of gold or silver or stone. Their impulse to worship was right, even if the object of their worship was wrong. God demands to be the sole God we worship because God is the only one worthy of such glory, honor, and praise. Just as God did not tolerate people worshiping a golden calf, God does not tolerate our worship of money, busyness, celebrities, politics, sports. Anything that is not the one true God. Shame gets us to create these idols. Has us hoping that they will fill the God-sized hole in our hearts and lives. But they never will. Our souls are restless until they find their rest in God. Shame makes us want to hide, but God sees all of who we are and still calls us good. 
when we hear God telling us we are good enough to come as we are, we are free to admit we cannot run from God. We are free to admit we need God. We won't feel a need to fill God's place in our hearts and lives with idols. We won't feel a need to keep God at a distance. Shame will keep trying to tell us we are unworthy of love and belonging. Shame is powerful, insidious, overwhelming, belittling, demeaning, and a lie. Allow me to tell you the truth, though. The evil that leads to shame and putting on armor and prioritizing idols has been defeated. God loves you, and there is nothing you can do about it. You are enough. You are seen. You are beloved. Your voice is valuable. Wherever you are is holy ground. God delights in you. There is a place for feelings of guilt and remorse when we've sinned and need to repent. Remember, guilt is I did something bad. Shame is I am bad. We aren't perfect, so we need a healthy amount of guilt when we've done something wrong. But shame only keeps us looking inward instead of outward to those in need or upward to God. When we make a mistake, shame says we are a failure and always will be. Shame does not allow for redemption. Shame corrodes the very part of us that believes we can change and do better. But God redeems. When we do things that don't line up with what God wants for us, we can make amends and change our behavior. And God is faithful to forgive us. God makes us brand new. When we declare we believe in the forgiveness of sins, that's a statement about what God has done and is doing and will do through us and in spite of us. When we feel ashamed, instead of turning inward and putting distance between us and God and allowing those idols to creep in, We need to take it to God, to name that rotten, bitter lie for what it is, to quiet the lies shame is telling us about ourselves so that we can draw near to the mountain, hear God calling us beloved, and respond with the deepest and best worship we have to offer the one true God. Let us pray. Lord, you have commanded us to have no other gods. Keep us faithful to you alone. Dethrone the idols in our life. And give us the grace to honor, love, and trust you above all things. 